Welcome to the Empower From Within podcast presented to you by Trezal House. I'm your host, Jessica West, founder, author, speaker, and coach. Every week on the show, I share an inspiring interview with an incredible entrepreneur, author, healer, or change maker to tell their empowering story. At the end of each episode, I highlight the key self-empowerment takeaways to help you discover the limitless power you have within yourself to reach for your greatest desires and create the life that's truly worth living on your terms. I'm so happy to have you here with me today and together, let's go within. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having an awesome week so far and that you find this episode a great and empowering addition to it. I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with Luke Rossmo today. We talk about limiting thoughts, beliefs, and core concepts, and we take a deep dive into discovering the root cause of many of our challenges. Luke Rossmo is a mindset and performance coach, speaker, writer, and musician. He spent many, many years in survival mode feeling like he was just struggling his way through life. But by doing the inner work and learning to adopt a growth mindset and begin rewriting the beliefs that were holding him back, he allowed himself to rise. And today he lives the life that he wants, where he wants, and he helps others do the same. He works with entrepreneurs, coaches, and leaders to help them renovate their mindset to allow for exponential growth, impact, and income. Luke believes that when we discover the truth of what we are, we are free to become whatever we choose. It's really such a great conversation. So without any further ado, please welcome Luke Rosmo. Hi, Luke, and welcome to the Empower From Within podcast. I'm super happy to have you here today. How are you doing? Uh, I'm, first of all, excited to be here. And second of all, I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? Awesome. I am so good. Always good. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah. What, what a good what a good place to be. Always exactly. Good. Right. <laughs> so I want to talk about you today and everything that you're doing. Um, you are helping entrepreneurs and coaches and leaders really build their mindset and start creating, you know, exponential growth and massive impact. But it wasn't always like that for you. And I could assume oh. that the journey may have been a little challenging. So do you want to take us on your story and how did you get to where you are today? Um, if people ask a version of that story, I'll, I'll usually quip with something like suffering. Mm-hmm. Like I just suffered. Like my whole life was just suffering. Um, so, man, growing up, like we all have our story. Um, I had a, I have a lot of privilege. You know, I'm. I'm obviously white and um, I just mentioned my wife. So there's certain privilege that comes with that, but man, did I ever, I struggled so much internally. So um, looking back, I can just say like, I actually thought there was fundamentally something wrong with me. Like I was just missing something. Um, I had no self-esteem, no self-worth. I didn't believe that, I could do anything. (laughs) And so I did very little. Um, I was so broke for most of my life, like dead broke. Um, And when I did try to make more income, it felt like the universe conspired against me. Um, And 
my relationship uh, was not good. It was, it was, it was rough and worse than all of that. Um, I didn't recognize it at the time because we don't know. Um, it's like that old idea with like the frog in boiling water. You, 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 you get what is normal for you. You don't recognize that it's just, that's just a version of experience. So there was a moment in time where I, I, I experienced life for the first time without anxiety. And in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm anxious or I was anxious. Like I've lived with anxiety my whole life. Um, so I really just had this, this really unhappy, um, limited life. Um, and it wasn't, it was the opposite of happy. It was the opposite of good. Uh, I just really suffered inside. Um, externally, I, I struggled with my weight and, um, Oh, I just I struggled with everything. Who are, who are we kidding? So <laughs> that's what it was like for me growing up till like things started started to sort of shift for me at 28. At 28. Do you want to 28. share like what was that experience that allowed you to realize that like, hey, whoa, I'm living life in anxiety because in that moment you didn't have that anxiety. Like what, what was it that you did? In that moment? Um, if I'll be totally straight with you, that happened recently. Okay. That was like six months ago, like nine months ago. Wow. Um, so one of the things I do with people is um, I do a journaling process. So I had jumped really deep into a journaling process. Uh, and part of the journaling process is to investigate myself. Um, when I say myself, I mean my my mind but also my my heart so here so the mind has three layers we have our our thoughts which we're superficially conscious of sometimes underneath our thoughts we have these things that are beliefs which if you look at the word we just automatically believe those things to be true for us mm-hmm. and underneath our beliefs we have our core concepts so i've been doing so when I say core concept, let me just explain. A core concept is an I am statement. And if we're struggling in some way, it's a negative I am statement. It's an I am not statement. It's a negation of what we are, which is beautiful, expansive, unlimited potential. So when we limit that with an I am not statement, there's a feeling that goes on with that. In this case, for me, it was like it's tremendous anxiety um, in the past, depression, like just horrible feelings. So I was doing this work and I came to the root. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I've spent my life feeling like, oh, oh, I'm not okay. Everything that I'm doing in the world is coming from this place of I'm not okay. I'm trying to be successful. Why are you trying so hard to be successful? Well, if I'm successful, then I'll be okay. Oh, so I have these pointers when I start to look of like, I'm not okay. Um, now, when I looked at that core belief, the essence of who I am at my core is not okay. I stripped away the past and the future of that. And I just said, oh, look, in this moment, I'm sitting on this chair. I'm journaling in this chair on this moment. I have this beautiful window here that you can't see. And 
in this moment, is there any evidence that I'm not okay? And in that moment, I came to a new realization. I'm okay. And it was like this switch. And in that moment, it was like something around my heart cracked open and fell apart. And I just felt like just this radiance and just this energy and just this like, oh, what was that thing I was feeling before? That was like the moment. Okay. Yeah, that's so powerful. I, and, and, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I do that sometimes too, even like it, it could be, I could be in a stressful situation, but if I really hone into like what's happening right now, we really don't have anything to worry about in the now moment, right? Like when we really just hone in on like this moment, what are we stressed about? Because in this moment, nobody really needs anything from you. Like in this minute moment, and if we can hone in on that, oh my God, like we shed through everything else because like this moment in our peace is all that matters. And when we realize that, hey, wait, I am secure. I do have everything that I need in this moment. Everything just seems so small. Like all the stressors that we once had. So that's fall away. powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's, wow. And you just made this realization like within- the past nine months. So how were you able to go from this state of suffering to start building, you know, the the business and the life that you have right now? Yeah, I started, I've started, I started, again, I I say there's a pivotal moment at 28. I'm 36 now, just so you have context and everybody has context. So first of all, like just way back, um, (laughs) 28 to 36 is eight years. So I'm living this small, like, uh, constrained life. Um, I'll paint, I can paint that picture more in a second. Um, So so to get to where I am today, where I've never felt better, like every day is brighter and more beautiful. Uh, and, and, And the more that, the brighter it gets, the more contrast there is where it really shines a light on just, I was not okay. <laughs> There's the word again. Uh, so first of all, like I've had epiphanies along the way, but it's been a journey. And as I've gone through that journey, my life has slowly but surely gotten more expansive um, to the point now where I, I just, I actually feel unstoppable, um, which is a beautiful feeling. And I get to bring that feeling into the world and, and, and live from that space. But um, the, the first catalyst was uh, like, it was eight years ago. So it, it's a journey like all, all good things. So I don't even know if I answered your question. Sort of, <laughs> it, it was a journey. Yeah, it, that it was a, it was journey. a journey. I'm wondering, okay, so, so you talked about is we have our beliefs. Yeah. And a lot of the beliefs that we have, we've gotten, they were formed through repetition. And mm-hmm. so I'm assuming that's probably the same as our core concepts. Something happened in our little life to make us feel that way. And oftentimes when you want to rewrite those patterns or those deep rooted beliefs, you have to, you know, do repetition or do some sort of practice or build a new habit. And so yes. was there a habit 
that you started to build or like an exercise or something that you needed to do every day to continue the positive momentum to rewriting some of that core belief that you were not yeah. okay? Yeah, it's, so absolutely, yes. Uh, so the first thing is, so I have a journaling process. I also have a meditation process. I do them uh, pretty much every day. I'm not perfect. Um, I don't pretend to be. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, and most people are working really, really superficially. Okay, so let's just say, let's just go with money because that's one that I think a lot of people can relate to. This is the one that that I worked on for a long time. So I'm trying to get more money. Um, but if I'm trying to get more money from the, the deep place of I'm not okay, then I'm actually just reinforcing the deep-seated belief that I'm not okay in my search for money. Um, so if I'm doing this work of repetition, and let's just say I'm journaling or I'm trying to feel abundant and I have a gratitude practice and... Um, and I'm journaling from this perspective of like, oh, I just love how money flows to me. And, but deep down, it's like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. But I don't see that. So we can only work at the level at which we've, we've realized. I told you there's depth from thought, belief to core concepts. So unless and until we work at the root of the, the core concept, like um, I'll just use a prop here. I love this plant. It's so pretty. So this is what we see. This is like, hey, here's some thoughts and some feelings, but there's a root down there. And if you don't get to the root and work at the root level, uh, that thing's just going to grow back in different forms and it's going to, it's just going to come back. So um, on one hand, the journaling process is to uncover what's there. So imagine a boat and we have these anchors off the back of a boat. Most of us are trying to go somewhere with these anchors off the back of a but we have to see our anchors and the depth of them. So once we, it, for me, um, these were my anchors. I'm not safe. Uh, I'm not okay. I'm not enough. Those are some of my core ones. I'm unlovable, things like this. Once I see that and recognize it's not true, well, I'm still dealing with my brain. So that's my default pattern for my brain. So to start to step into something new, I'm working with my head and my heart because they play together. And I'm going to work at a cognitive level and just say, look, I'm okay. And then I'm going to filter my brain evidence. I'm going to say like, why am I okay? At the end of the day, this is really important. You don't, your okayness, your enoughness, your lovability, it's not dependent on anything. And yet we still have to give our brain evidence to support something. So once we go from, okay, I'm okay. Now we can grow the roots of that. We can start to build the, the plant back up. Well, I'm okay. And now we can go to the, oh, I'm, I'm making this money. I have this beautiful relationship, um, whatever the thing is for you. But the idea is to work at the core and then and build up from there. Um, so journaling, thoughts and feelings. But for feelings, um, First of all, not to invalidate what you are feeling, to deeply feel it and hold space for it, uh, the space of love and acceptance, not judgment, like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this tightness in my throat. No, hold it like you would a small child. Uh, that's the ultimate path forward. Um, and then from there, uh, if we talk about a, a, a continuum of, of suffering or survival to thriving, uh, most of people, because of the way we grew up, um, I learned, my, my nervous system learned that I wasn't safe from growing up with my dad. He didn't feel safe. I didn't know that growing up. Um, 
but I carried that forward. That's a state of survival. So I actually have to practice and step into something new. And that's where having things like, and this is going to sound maybe a bit hokey, but if you do it, it's legit life-changing. Having a compassion practice, a gratitude practice, where you actually practice the feelings of compassion and gratitude for self and others. Um, those are like concrete, practical, do-it-everyday things um, that people can incorporate. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I hear a lot of... Um you know, when you do the morning journaling, like send love to three people or the world, or I used to have a practice that I would just write reasons why I love myself. And it's not to be conceited, but you really need to cultivate that self-love because then again, if that's the belief, you can't experience anything past that belief. Like it's, it's amazing because your brain really does want to just respond to what you program it to be. Like it'll end up self-sabotaging yourself so that you are back to that not enoughness. But if you program it in the right way, then it's just going to continue serving you. It's actually like, it's it's really beautiful and, and powerful when you put in the serving beliefs, right? One of the, one of the things that, that I glommed onto for hope in the beginning was like, man, I'm really negative and like really unhappy imagine if I could leverage this superpower in a positive way, how amazing my life would be. And it, it's kind of a weird thought experiment, but it's, it's something that gave me hope. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And are you finding that now that now that you've kind of rewired that in your brain, like, does life not just get better and better? Uh, my experience so far is that, uh, yeah, I mean, life has just gotten better and better. I wake up and I'm just happy. Like I'm excited to get out of bed. Um, those are things that I couldn't say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dreaded the day. I just dreaded everything that I thought I had to do. And now it's, um, you know, like I have a, I have a big list of things to do today and I'm going to do it. It's going to be pretty effortless <laughs> mm-hmm. and I feel good. So that, that's, that's the ultimate thing is like, why do we want the money? Why do we want the relationship? Why do we want, the body or like whatever we just want to feel good so it's crazy if you start with feeling good how easy all the other stuff happens because you feel good well exactly yeah and I think when we start to realize that it's not the outside thing that creates the feeling within us it's actually us that creates that feeling and so if we think oh I want all this money so that then I will feel happy well can you feel happy right now you most certainly can and so can Mm -hmm. you start to cultivate that and then, I mean, I believe in law of attraction, you know, you're going to be vibrating at the same rate as the riches that you want and boom, there it is. Right. And I think really helpful for maybe somebody that's listening is like, but, but first of all, and I'll always like to say like, there's a difference between struggling to pay bills. Like that's, that, that can be very difficult. I, I know from experience. Um, but when you say like, when I get this, then I'll be this. You're putting your happy, like the happiness in this case is contingent on money. And so money will continue to elude you because the self-fulfilling prophecy is that you're not happy. So when you start to look at the way that you're structuring your sentences, that gives you um, an insight into what you actually believe. So the, the inferred belief there is that, well, first of all, I need money to be happy, but at the core, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. That's Mm -hmm. the place to work. 
Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. I, I you know, that got me thinking, um, and I'm curious with you and, and your journey, if you, if you started to notice that the life that you're experiencing is almost like confirming what you have, like deeply rooted within yourself, right? Because I mean, life is just kind of a reflection of you. And so when you notice things and, you know, if it's a lot of negativity, it's kind of giving you an indication. It's almost like always feedback on what it is that you get to work on within yourself to, to maybe change your perception, perception of this situation, or just start moving into action in different ways. Yeah. And we've been talking really like, like cognitively. So when I say cognitive, I mean like mind stuff. So we've been talking a lot Mm -hmm. about thoughts. Um, there's two, well, there's more than two, but I, I said earlier, like our, our head and our heart played together. So if something's happening in the world and it's hitting us, it's hitting our heart, it's creating a contraction. Um, what the brain will do is the brain will come up and say, I need to resolve this. This is not comfortable. And so now the brain cascades from there and it starts this thinking pattern which will feed the feeling that we have so the brain's trying to solve a negative feeling but the brain will only reinforce the feeling that it's coming from so when we have a feeling that we're not comfortable with the the work there is to work at the level of feeling and there's no work to do there and people don't want to hear this because you actually just have to feel your feelings um I always, so I'm a musician and one of the, one of the analogies that I use is I have a guitar behind me. So let's imagine that we, we pluck a string on the guitar and it rings out and it's like the mind will come on and be like, no, 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 that's a, that's a, that, that chord sounds terrible. I can't handle it. And it starts bashing the guitar and hitting all the strings. And it just, now we're just making noise and it all gets worse. Um, the, the heart is, is like music. It plays incredible the music of incredible joy the feelings of incredible joy and the music of incredible sadness um our our work is just to hear it as as if we would music so when we hear a song that's sad we don't try to do anything so when we hear the music of the heart those negative feelings if you just lay back and 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 feel them and allow them to be what happens with the guitar string is that sound resolves on its own there's nothing to do nothing to do it's the same with our heart if you just if you just relax back and allow it to be what's being it'll come up and it'll pass the issue is that most of us spend all of our lives getting away from our feelings so even that thought bubble that comes up is a way to not feel it gets us in our head um i struggled with food for a long time so food was a way to get away from my feelings. Um, masturbation and porn was a way to get away from my feelings. Um, exercise was a way to get away from my feelings. Listening to self-help books is a way to get away from my feelings when all the work is just to, oh my God, I got to feel this. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Let's ride this. So yeah. I hope that's helpful for people. It is, yeah. You know, and it, and it has me thinking of, um, brain and heart coherence. I'm not an expert. I don't know much about this. Like I've, I, I've just heard about it. And so through your, some of the meditations that you do to start, you know, maybe 
reintroducing more positive beliefs. Like, what do you know about brain and heart coherence? Um, and is that kind of the the state or like, is there, you know, breathing exercises to get in that state to be able to uh, rewire some of those limiting beliefs that you're carrying? Okay. So a couple things. So when you say brain heart coherence, like my head immediately goes to Dr. Joe Dispenza. That, yeah. That's the guy here talking about this. I've not done his thing. I've read one or two of his books. Um, so I can't speak to him. Um, when uh so yes there's things that i do but i can only speak from my experiences and the experience that i have with my clients so understand that like that's the experience that's the place that i'm coming from um and you just brought up limiting beliefs so i talked about the anchors on the back of our boat mm-hmm. limiting beliefs are like one sort of anchor it's like one category of anchor um generally speaking like i could never do that i can't do xyz Okay, that's one category. There's a whole other category of these negative patterns, for example, overthinking and overwhelm. So I just want to say that because they're different things. So at the level of limiting beliefs, we can work at that pretty much just from a cognitive level where it's like, is that even true? Like, you don't believe that you can make a million dollars or so my big goal right now, this is the biggest goal, is to play on stage with the Dave Matthews Band. The Dave Matthews Band, my favorite band. Favorite band. So I recognized in a moment that I had a living belief. I could never play on stage with the Dave Matthews Band. Um, well, just a sec. Why not? Oh, because that could never happen for a guy like me. Well, what if there's a guy like you that could play on stage with the Dave Matthews Band? Okay, you have legs. First of all, I do. And they work. But even if I didn't have legs and I was in a wheelchair, like, could I be physically on stage with them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Can I jump and touch the moon? No, that's that's probably not possible. But could I climb Mount Everest? Yeah, probably with some training, I could. Could I play on stage with the Dave Matthews band? Yeah. I, wait a minute, I actually could. Um mm-hmm. Our brain will fight for our limitations. And that's just a really helpful thing to ask people. Like, why are you fighting for your limits? Why aren't you fighting for your expansiveness? And it's not even us that's fighting for our, our, our limits or expansiveness. It's this small survival part of us. So when we understand that this is a brain trying to keep you safe, it's so empowering. Um, again, I've got off on this tangent. I don't even know if I've answered a question. Uh, brain heart coherence. Yeah. But, but I, I do, I just want to say, I do love what you said. And yeah, when, when you realize that it's almost, um, it's just trying to keep you safe. So you can almost see it as an act of love as part of your brain. Like if you detach yourself a little bit and then you can't help but feel good about it, right? Like, although yes, it's stopping me and preventing me from doing and actually being happy. But when you can look at it with love and just be like, wow, you're able to overcome it that much easier. I feel like when you just kind of like release it instead of struggling against it and I'm gonna you know beat you and things like that like just recognize it for what it is because what happens if you push a bully the bully pushes back back. (laughs) yeah and it'll push back hard and like bullies Mm -hmm. are kind Mm -hmm. um what do you do with a bully like you love it you love a bully like that bully is a bully because it needs love 
Mm-hmm. So what you said is true. Like it's not like this adversary. Our our limiting beliefs, our our unserving patterns. Um, the work isn't to fight them. So I have this framework where it's just notice the name. Like oh, there's judgment as an example. Or we can do this with feelings too. Like oh, here's this. I used to have. I lived with this constriction in my throat for my almost my whole life. So um, this was again really really recent. Uh, probably the last three months because I hated that feeling. I, it's so uncomfortable. Like it felt like there's this hand inside my throat, squeezing my, my throat. Like, like I'm being strangled almost 24 seven. When I changed my relationship to that feeling, when I base the, the energy, that, so I have a three-year-old. So the energy that I bring to my three-year-old is you're beautiful as you are, whether you're crying, thrashing about, or you know, just experiencing a moment of joy. Um, I'm going to hold the energy of love and acceptance for you. So if I can do that for the parts of me that I've traditionally felt the most resistant to, for example, just that feeling, um, I don't feel that feeling very much anymore. And I didn't do it with the intention of it going anywhere. Um, So we can do this with all of the thinking stuff, all of the feeling stuff. Um, and then the more that we practice that, because it is a practice, the more that we embody that sense of just, just love and acceptance, which mm-hmm. again, just feels good. So. Yeah, beautiful absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I love that, um, that you brought up your, th- your three-year-old daughter and that you just have that unconditional love because I feel like what if like, like that part of ourselves is almost like our little selves because most of those beliefs, those core beliefs didn't necessarily come from us. Like I believe we were, we were born just as blank slate. And then the world around us kind of made us believe things about us. And so it's almost like we need to heal that inner child. And those beliefs are just that inner child of yours. And so can you love your younger self and maybe give him or her like the nourishment that they would have needed, you know, back at that time. And I know there's a lot of therapies like um, that focus on that, uh, but it's yeah. so important. Uh, it's it's a, like I found it integral for for my own life, my own practice. Uh, my wife happens to be a therapist, so she's always bringing like these therapy books in. Um, oh, there's one, there's one up there. It's uh, it's into integrative family therapy. I, I think that's what it's called. I might be wrong, um, but it, it's it's just the idea of what you just said. Um, and one of the things that like I think it's really important to highlight is me feeling that I'm not enough or I'm not safe or I'm not lovable, like that I'm not okay. I learned that from somewhere, like my family, culture. I worked with weight loss people for a long time. The culture of diet, diet culture, it's an inter, we internalize the very fact that we're not okay as we are. That's the message of diet culture. So now people are trying to solve this deep seated belief of like, I'm not okay. I'm not enough, which we've been indoctrinated to believe through diet culture. And then it's ironic because then diet culture is trying to solve this problem that's created in the first place by thinking that you can do that with diet and exercise and you can't, it's never going to work. Um, But if a person, if I can recognize like that came from somewhere, it's not me. That's so liberating. Like now we can drop the the guilt and the shame. It just can fall away. It's just also just liberating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can we also talk about 
forgiveness, because I think that's super important when you do that work too, because yes, it didn't come from you, but it's nobody's fault. And so we can't really turn around and be like, oh, my parents did this, my, you know, so-and-so. Um, like, I think we have to come from a state of forgiveness because then again, and we're holding resistance. So this is a really touchy one. Um, so it's funny. I just had a conversation with, with my wife around this. Um, part of the meditation that I do is a, is a, is a forgiveness practice. Um, forgiveness isn't about absolving the other person. It's about releasing what we're holding on to the resentment, for example. Um, so our parents, let's just use our parents. Our, our parents did the best they could with what they have. And in a lot of cases, like I know for my case, like that wasn't great. Um, and they're a product of everything that they experienced growing up. So in a way they were shaped by their parents and their environment. And now we're dealing with the echoes, the ramifications of that, which are then echoing and, and it's these little stone droplets that get dropped in a lake and they ripple out and it just continues. Um, so on one hand, it's, um, it can be twofold. It can be, look, your parents did the best they can and, and they didn't do a very good job. But if we're holding on resentment, like you're saying, then that's affecting us. So uh, that, that also seems to be a, a little bit more complex, but um, anecdotally, I, uh, again, about four months ago, maybe four, I'm guessing, um, I sat here again, this is where I do a lot of my meditating and I, I, I spent about 20 minutes just forgiving my dad. We don't have a good relationship. And I hadn't talked to him in a long time and he never, ever phones me, ever. And 20 minutes after I stopped, he called me wow. and he just wanted to congratulate me on this thing that I'd accomplished. And I was like, what is happening? So coincidence or like a little bit of woo? Not I don't know. <laughs> woo woo all the way. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Uh, it was interesting. Really interesting. I've read other accounts of, of similar things. Um, so it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Super interesting. Thank you for sharing that. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's really powerful. And, you know, as you were talking and as we're talking about where the beliefs come from and it comes from society and then um, yeah. it's making me think to what you were saying at the very beginning, when you were saying your story and how you felt like it was all suffering and you felt like you were very much alone. But when we start talking about how it's beliefs from other people and beliefs, nobody's alone. Like everything's really intertwined. And so I want to know from your experience and if this is something that you did, did you start sharing your story and then start to realize that like, oh my God, I'm not alone. There's actually quite a few people who are struggling from the same thing as I am. Um, it's just, we're often taught not to share some of those darker parts of ourselves and then we feel alone. But what was that like for you? Um, it's interesting because, um, so we don't want to share because let's say that we're growing up and for, for me to like be truly who I am in my essence, like just screaming, crying as a child, you know, being a kid, doing kid things. And if we're told, oh, you shouldn't do that. We start to play small. We start to shrink ourselves down because we don't want to, um, 
we don't want to affect the connection that we have with our primary caregivers. So it's like, oh, I can't cry. Uh, oh, I can't be myself. Oh, I can't ask for that. Oh, it's not okay to do this. It's not okay to do that because I need to preserve the connection that I have with my caregivers. Um, so what happens is a lot of us grow up is we stop feeling safe. We lose our sense of safety, which we're not conscious of to be ourselves. So that's one of the reasons no, we don't share. That's one of the reasons people don't do what they actually want to do. They don't, feel, they don't feel safe to. So one of the things that is critical is to experience safety. Um, Cause again, we don't know what we don't know. So um, I went to this retreat once upon a time, um, probably about 18 months ago. And for the first time in my life, I was like, Oh, I felt so free. And I came back home, back home. And I, and then I, in that contrasting experience, I had the recognition that I've never felt safe before. That's what safety feels like. I felt safe to be myself. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, I wanted to just touch on one of the reasons that people, why it's so uncomfortable sharing, because people, we're not alone in that. And I think the more that we just de demystify like why we do what we do, because people don't do things for no reason. It's like, oh shit, I'm just normal. I'm just a normal person having a normal experience of life. How beautiful. So the first time that I started sharing like a very shameful personal thing was um, I struggled with my weight for, for my life. And I fluctuated from being like just a little bit overweight to being shredded. So you would look at me and be like, what the, why are you complaining? But I never felt like it was enough, like good enough. Um, and I over-exercised and I under-ate and I would hyper-fixated on food and exercise. And I had this super shame thing where I was a fitness trainer and helping other people get fit and look good. And I had this, I binged with, I, I binged food, like monster binges. And I felt enslaved by this binging. It felt like this monster that that I had and I, I felt so much shame uh, around it. And I lived with that pattern for like 15 years. And when I started to talk about it, um, other people were like, oh, I, I binge too. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I'm not the only one smashing a liter, like three liters of ice cream and then eating eight pieces of toast with peanut butter and honey. Um, we feel shame because we feel alone. And that's what being in survival does. We shut down and we don't share. And that severs connection and we need connection to thrive. Connection to others, but more importantly, connection to ourselves. And we can't have that in shame. So the more that we can normalize like this human part of us, this human experience and share it and talk about it and experience safety. Like I'm sharing this with you and you're not like, oh, what a loser. You're like, man, that must've been really difficult. Mm -hmm. The more that mm -hmm. we can experience that, the more we feel safe to share an experience. So I think like, man, if, if, if I can share all my struggles and let people know like they're not alone with any of it, then it'll normalize the whole thing. And that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What did it feel like when you finally shared it with people and they were like, hey, I binge eat too. Was it almost like a release that did it help you maybe control the urge to binge or did it make it worse? Um, I first started sharing that 
probably 11 years ago. I struggled with that probably up until about three years ago. Um, so it didn't solve anything. Um, those that's a pattern. So mm -hmm. pe people will look at an incident like binging in isolation. It's part of a pattern. So um, I probably could have got help with this, but I'm so stubborn. So um, what I recognize is there's a pattern behind binging. Part of it is immediately after a binge is self-judgment. They're, they're intrinsic. Um, after self-judgment, there's restriction. Um, so to deal with the binge, to deal with any behavior, all you have to do is look at the pattern behind the behavior as a whole. And typically there'll be a trigger. So feeling. So part of it is to feel feelings. Part of it is to drop judgment. Part of it is, um, and if you have a process to be able to look at your patterns, whether it's through the help of a traditional therapist or a coach that feels confident with these things. Um, you could do it a lot more quickly, but you can also do it for yourself where you just recognize like, what are the patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior around X, Y, Z? And I got really curious and recognize it. So this is where the notice and name is so powerful. It's like, oh, there's the, there's the binging pattern. There's Betty. I don't know why Betty. Just mm -hmm. notice and name it. So now it's not me. I have a binging problem. It's here is this be here's this behavior. It's a pattern. Let's be curious about this. And then once we see our pattern in its fullness, resolving down to that core concept, we can step into a new pattern and practice a new pattern. Because it's none of that, the, our patterns aren't us. Our patterns are thought, our patterns of feeling, our patterns of action and non-action ultimately aren't who we are. And so we have freedom to become and do whatever we want in the world once we're once we see that for what it is so it was a it was a long journey yeah mm -hmm. i i love that idea of just associating with it and naming those yeah. patterns i think because when we internalize it then we identify with it and then like how can we actually separate ourselves and even think about overcoming it if it's such a rooted part of our identity, but when we, you know, can step away from it and be like, this is Betty, this is whatever, Bob, um, then, you know, we can kind of, you know, I don't feel like a visit from Bob today. <laughs> and then maybe, yeah. you know, help, help overcome that a little more. Yeah. I want to go back to what, so when you were saying that um, you had a challenge with your weight and I just really want, because I think it's so powerful to like, maybe who we share it to? And do you feel like that was important? Because I think a lot of people, when you share things, and then if they would have looked at you and been like, well, you shouldn't be complaining about your weight, but it's a deep rooted you know, core belief. And so it doesn't really matter what people say on the outside. It doesn't really matter what you look like on the outside, because if you think you're big, what you look in the mirror is big to you. Like you can't you know, it's just the way of seeing your reality. And so I guess the reason why I'm saying this is just because I would really like to caution people of when people are opening up and sharing their beliefs of, we tend to want to be like, oh, don't worry about that. You shouldn't think that. But when it's a deep core belief, that's not very helpful at all to the person. And like you were saying, it just makes them feel even more shameful. There's a reason for that. So 
what you're talking about essentially is if you share something with somebody, um, is let's say that I shared something with you and you're like, oh, you shouldn't think that. I am thinking that. You've, you haven't validated my experience. You, you haven't validated my felt experience of life. You're, you are saying, you, you don't mean to do this, but essentially you're saying like, again, you should be different. You shouldn't think that way. What's the, impl what's the implication there? You're not okay as you are. Mm -hmm. what, what is the core belief of somebody struggling with weight? They should be different. Mm -hmm. They're not okay as they are. Part of listening to people is holding space for their felt experience of life and saying, like, so again, take it to the kid example because, um, and then we'll take this a step further because it's one thing to do this for another person. It's another thing to invalidate your own experience. I shouldn't be feeling this. I shouldn't be eating this ice cream. Should is the seed of self-judgment with Severus connection with who we are. So um, we can't invalidate our experience. We have to hold compassion and love and curiosity for our experience. So it's helpful to externalize to a child, innocent. My son comes running up to me because he scraped his knee and I'm like, you shouldn't cry. No, he's crying because he scraped mm -hmm. his knee. Of course he should cry. So the, the, the thing to do is to hold him. There's an energy in that holding. That's what I bring to others and myself. So if you're like, man, life's really hard. That is your experience. Is that my experience? No. But our perception forms our, our reality, how we experience the world fundamentally. So I, we can't work on anything if we're not, if, if we're invalidating your experience. And I think probably, probably most coaches and helpers, people um, are accidentally chronically invalidating other people's experience. Oh, don't cry. Oh, it's, it's not that bad. Yeah, it is that bad. It isn't that bad for that person right now. Hold them in that. Your job is to be the space. And then like, take a look because are they stirring something up you that you feel you need to be, be different for yourself to be okay? That's your work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So is there something that you would recommend maybe for someone to say in that situation? Like we want to hold space, but is there something that we can do? And, and you must do as a coach, to help people because we do want to still help people along, yeah. but we don't want to invalidate how they're feeling. And so what would be a good response for someone to say in a situation like that? For example, someone who thinks that they have a lot of weight and we're, we want to say, no, no, you're like, why do you think that? What would be a better response? Um, empathy, empathy, empathy mm -hmm. statements, felt empathy, like, man, that must be devastating. You can't fit in an airplane seat. Like I can't imagine how difficult that must be to try to travel. Mm -hmm. That's tough. S sit with somebody in their discomfort with them. Be there with them. Don't try to fix. Is there like a process that you think that like, yes, empathizing, but is there like a little switch that you could say to maybe turn the conversation or the outlook like a little more positive. 
Um, so what happens when you validate someone's experience is that they recognize that they're okay as they are. Mm. What more does anyone want? So the driver behind what we're doing is the ultimate measure of, of, of everything. So am I trying to change my weight from the driver of when I lose this weight, then I'll be okay? Or am I naturally losing this weight because I feel okay at my core? Mm -hmm. So we have to see the structure of the thing that's trying. So we're just sticking with this weight loss example, which is fine. So let's say that I want to lose weight. Okay. Because culture said, lose 20 pounds. Okay. It's not just lose 20 pounds. It's lose. It's, it's, you should be different than you are. So why should you be different than you are? Because you're not okay. So, so the work is to see that you're not, not okay. What happens if you're okay? The whole pattern of thought and feeling that's built around the notion of I'm not okay. In this case, I will be okay when I exercise five times a week. I, I lose 100 pounds. Every, everything built around that false identity of not being okay falls away. The struggle falls away. So, so people will be like, but then aren't I going to lose weight? It's like, it's not even a concern anymore. You're just going to eat the foods that align with being okay. This plant is okay. What does the plant do? It grows. Why do you think you're different? You will naturally align with being okay, with being enough. Now there's no weight struggle. There's no food struggle because the whole mechanism that was the root of it is gone. So the worry to lose weight just disappears. You'll just start eating, like you'll just start nourishing your body and drinking more water and going to sleep at a good time. Because the driver is, I'm not trying to become something I'm not. I recognize the wholeness and beauty of what I am. And there's freedom in that. That's the difference between the constriction versus the expansiveness. What is the driver? So my job, if there's any job at all, is to be the space of okayness for another person. It's not about the weight. It's not about the food. It's not even about the exercise. Why do you feel like you should be exercising in the first place? Look at that. I should exercise. I should exercise because I, I need to lose weight. I need to lose weight to be okay. Oh, you don't feel okay. Mm -hmm. Now we drop the whole. So this is the this is a this this is the only struggle with this. The pattern is self fulfilling. So in order to drop the pattern, we we step out of the the entire constraint that that pattern created, and the brain hates that because that's who it thinks it is. It's a death. Losing that is a death. Who are you if you're not obsessed about food and losing weight? Who are you? You don't know who you are. Do you know how scary that is? That's the unknown. So now there's now the real work begins. <laughs> it has nothing to do with food. Mm -hmm. So is that helpful? It is. Oh my gosh. That is wow. Like you just nailed it. Thank you so much for saying that. Like really, really so so good. Um and it makes total sense. And so now I'm what, so I, 
when I was looking over your, um, your bio, you say something on there that limiting beliefs only seem to differ in magnitude. And as I'm hearing you talk about, okay, for example, the weight, but it really nails down to not being okay. So is that what you mean by how they don't actually differ or what is it? No, um, I tend to, I mentioned earlier two categories of anchor. Okay. That whole pattern of food behavior, exercise behavior, or lack of behavior, thought, feeling, that's an unserving pattern. That's one classification of anchor. The other classification of anchor is just, I'm going to say simple. It is simple. It's limiting beliefs. So Luke, you can't play on stage with the Dave Matthews band. Limiting belief. I told you that my moment was 28 years old. What hadn't I done at 28 that I wanted to do? Play on a stage, any stage in front of anybody. I'd never done that because I didn't think I could because I thought that I was missing something. So at 28 years old, I imagined myself on my deathbed, looking back on my left, never having conquered that fear. And the thought of regret was worse than the thought of the, the fear that I felt. And so that led me to stepping on a small open mic stage a couple weeks later, and I played a couple songs. Up until 28 years old, I had a limiting belief. You can't play on stage, period. Eight years into the future, I discover a new limiting belief. You can't play on stage with a Dave Matthews band. Where do those thought forms exist? In your, in your mind? In your mind. Yeah. In the frame of your mind, how do they exist? It's obvious. <laughs> this, this string of words that we put together and we imbue it with the creative force of the universe. So it exists here as a string of words. All limiting beliefs exist in the frame of your mind as a string of words. You will look to the world and you will look to yourself to create evidence to support those beliefs. But when you really get this, it's just a string of words. They exist in your frame of your mind. You can take them out of the frame of your mind and put them on paper, cross them out and say, why not? Or what if I could create a crack? That's what I mean by limiting beliefs only seem to differ in magnitude. Yeah, that's powerful. And so that it just seems like a simple, almost a simple little journaling practice or not even really, you don't have to do that but to see it on paper might, might help to at least start building that um, habit, but just, yeah. Asking the question like, well, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Or um, I like, what if I really like that one? Like, what if I could, uh, why not me? So one of the, one of the, maybe if we like zoom way back, one of the things that we can do is just ask our, ask our brain a different question. Because, oh, I can never play on stage with the, with the Dave Matthews band. What my brain hears is, why can't you play on stage with the Dave Matthews band? So what the brain will do because of its function is it will go now and find all the evidence and create evidence, which is crazy, to support that belief. So if I just ask a better question, a different question, like, well, what if I could play on stage with the Dave Matthews band? What if I could? 
so that oh, apologize that's uh, one of my one of my imagination alarms going off um, <laughs> well, um so talk it talk is cheap so uh the other thing is to, to take action so you have to align your actions to, to things you want to do so um we got to do stuff in the world as well so um i, I don't want to you know i'm putting music out every week and i've legit reached out to the band a few times um it's not probably gonna probably not gonna happen tomorrow um but i'm dedicated to making it happen because i can't only matter imagine time. the see yeah Amazing. I love that. So how much is the feeling in part of that? Because I love how your brain creates evidence of why you cannot. But if you start saying I can, but you also have to embody the feeling for your brain to start looking at the evidence. Why? Or is it just a thought that you introduce into your mind? No. Um, so when I step on stage with the band in my imagination, I feel the energy of being on stage with the band. Now mm -hmm. I bring that energy into my day to day. I bring that, I imbue my life with that energy. Um, I haven't had a better energy than being on stage with that band, even though I've only been on that stage in my imagination. Um, that's the sweetness of it. Mm -hmm. I've been on that stage a thousand times in my imagination. Mm -hmm. So, um, your brain doesn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't know the difference. That's yeah. powerful. It is really powerful, you know, and when you think that everything in the world was created twice, first in the imagination, and then it was materialized in physical form. And so it's only a matter of time before it actually is in physical form for you. And so can you tell us what is your morning routine like? So you do these meditations, sounds like visualization techniques that you use to imagine yourself on stage. Can you share, like, what what does your morning routine look like that involves this meditation and journaling? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so first thing is a meditation. I go through a compassion practice. Uh, I imagine my son, um, and I just love him to death in, in the frame of my mind. Um, I feel those feelings of love. Um, I bring those feelings into my body, into my room, into my house, into my neighborhood, into my city, into my country, and into the world. It's an imaginative process. Uh, I imagine three things that I'm grateful for uh, in my life and feel gratitude. Then I step into my imagination and I think about, I imagine three things that I'm working towards being done. Um, I imagine my day, how I want my day to go. Um, and that's the meditation process. It's about 20 minutes long. And then I'll usually step into my journal and I write down, here's this day today. I write down exactly what I need to do today. And this is it. Um, one of the things on this list is have an awesome podcast. Um, I, I write down everything. So my brain knows exactly what we're doing today. N no chance for it to go any direction, but exactly what we're doing. Um, I write myself why questions. Why am I playing on stage with the Dave Matthews band? Why have I bench pressed 350 pounds? Uh, why do I have two seven-figure businesses? I take time to answer those questions. Um, throughout my day, I just told you my imagination alarm went off. Um, I have imagination alarms, so they go off during my day. I step into my, my imagination. 
uh, and I'll imagine one of the outcomes that I'm looking for and the feeling of having accomplished that. It's a practice of flexing my mind muscles uh, as much as I flex my muscles. It's a process, it's a practice. And it has, it has to be because our brain has this negativity bias. Like your brain's gonna sink into worry and fear unless we practice the, these things. It's just the way we're made. It's, it's, nothing's wrong with anybody. Mm-hmm. I love That's that. Right. So how many imagination alarms do you have per day? Uh, I think there's five that are turned on right now. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. And what yeah. about, because I know a lot of people like this routine, it's 20 minutes, not a long time, but some people might say, well, I don't have time for that. But I would also love to hear, because I really believe that when you start doing this, like your productivity must be like so much better. And that, you know, they, they say that 20 minutes meditation could be, you know, the equivalent to, you know, two hours of work because you're just that much more like productive because you're in it. And so do you feel like your days are more productive when you set that intention and you take that time in the morning? So one of the crazy things about our brain is, is nobody listening to this, like actually cares what I have to say. So I'm just going to put it back to people. I'll put it back to your audience. Imagine yourself on the most energized, amazing, beautiful day that you've ever had. How did you feel? You probably felt unstoppable. How have you felt on your worst day ever? There's, there's a chasm there. <laughs> on one hand, you probably struggled getting out of bed. On the other hand, you probably threw through your day with more energy and exuberance, getting more things done than you could have imagined. Um, that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Powerful. When you put it that way, like, why not <laughs> take that 20 minutes and, and because I don't have, have time. your day like that. That's yeah. why. That's yeah. so that's a belief. So let's just mm-hmm. highlight that. Mm-hmm. There's a belief. Is it serving you? That's one of my favorite questions to ask a belief. Not is it true, but is it serving me? The answer here is mm, probably not, um, but your brain believes it. So it's going to go to bat to prove itself true. So, so because of our brain and the way it is, we can't all or nothingness. So do you have time for two minutes? Do you have time for two minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can do two minutes. Do it. Do it for seven days and then see if you have time for three minutes. Because you're going to start to feel just a crack better. And you'd be like, I want a little bit more feel good. Mm-hmm. So then you'll you'll start to prioritize those things slowly over time. Yeah. So one of the things that people do is compare themselves where they are today to like me or whoever. And it's like, hey, I've actually been practicing iterations of these things for years. Don't compare your day one to my day whatever. Like if you went to the gym today and you've never been to the gym, like you're going to have a hard time lifting a bar. I've been going for years. I can, um, there's more there, but only because I've been doing it. That's all. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. And something that a lot of us do, right? Like compare ourselves to people who are, you know, 10 years in and yeah, yeah, that's just a recipe for discouragement there. Yeah. So so. what would you say to someone who is maybe just starting out this journey? What is like the one thing that you would suggest to them? to start, you know, living the life that they really want. Understand that you can. And be very, very patient and kind with yourself. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
Well, thank you so much, Luke. This has been so great. And oh my gosh, she shared so much valuable information. Um, as a last thing, do you have anything else that you would like to share? And can you let everybody know where they can find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, I share like longer form content on, on Facebook. Um, if anybody has any uh, money blocks or anything, I do like a monthly money thing. Um, we work through the depth of your money stuff and give you the tools that you need to walk away with a practice to continue to work at the core that we've hopefully unraveled for you during that. Um, I can, I can, can I give you a link for that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll include it. So in the show I can give you a link for that. And um, yeah, I think, I think um, uh, Facebook's a good place. I'm on TikTok now and uh, just, you know, jump in and, and dip your toes in a bit. And if, if you like what you hear, then we could see if potentially doing something together would, would be worth your, your time and, and your resources. But, but otherwise those are, those are good places to start. That money workshop's totally free. Okay. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, perfect. Thank you so much. And again, I'll be sharing all of those links in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. And thank you so much for your time today, Luke. This was really such a valuable conversation and it was really great having you here. Thank you for having me as a delight. You're, you're fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you. I enjoyed this conversation so much and there were so many takeaways. It was really hard for me to narrow it down to only five. As always, I would love to hear your biggest takeaways from our conversation. So please consider leaving a review on whatever platform you're listening to this episode right now. And if you're listening on Spotify, please go ahead and answer the question that I had asked within the episode page itself. I asked, what is your biggest takeaway from today's episode? If you answer, I will give you a shout out on the next episode. And again, I'm including all of the links that Luke mentioned in this episode in the show notes. And I've also included a direct link to his money breakthrough workshop. Should you be interested in attending his next one is being held on Sunday, July 9th. All right, here are today's self-empowerment takeaways that I chose. One, your mind is divided into three layers. You have your thoughts, your beliefs, and your core concepts. If you want to make any big change in your life, chances are you're going to have to address your core concepts, which are often the root of the challenge that you're facing. Two, your enoughness is not dependent on anything. You are enough and you are worthy and no one can take that away from you. Three, your brain will fight to prove your limitations. Your brain is a goal-seeking mechanism and whatever is programmed within your brain it will seek to prove itself right, no matter what you program in it. And so if you program limits, it'll prove your limits. But if you program freedom, it'll look for proof and evidence in your surroundings that you are free. Four, validate your experience. Drop the shoulds and allow yourself to feel your feelings. We really need to feel our feelings to be able to process them. I've said it many times on the podcast before, and I'll say it again. Stop shooting all over yourself. Just take that word out of your vocabulary and allow yourself to feel everything that you need to feel. Five, all limiting beliefs exist in the frame of your mind, and they're nothing more than a string of words. And so when limiting beliefs come up, 
You can simply ask them, is this really true? Most often we can just talk our way out of our own limiting beliefs. Thanks for being here. I hope you got just as much value out of today's episode as I did. If you feel called, please leave a rating and review of this podcast and share this episode with someone who you feel would benefit from the conversation we had. It's going to help us reach more people. And this is just one way that we can all help empower each other from the inside out.